Solidarność, the Workers' Movement and the Rebirth of Poland in 1980-81 by Mark Osborne, published by Workers' Liberty, January 2020. After the war. At the war's end, in 1945, half of Poland's pre-war public transport system, 60% of schools, posts and telecommunications, and a third of industrial plants and half of all bridges had been destroyed. 80% of the capital, Warsaw, was in ruins, much of the damage deliberately inflicted by the Nazis following the Warsaw Rising of August 1944. The census of February 1946 showed Poland had a population of 24 million, down from 35 million in 1939. The drop was partly due to border shifts. Poland had been moved 200 kilometres west by Stalin, removing Ukrainian and other populations into the USSR. Poland was now smaller by a fifth. About 4.5 million ethnic Germans remained in the territory of the new Poland defined under the Potsdam Agreement, others having fled or been evacuated at the end of the war. By 1950, 3.1 million had been expelled to Germany. Poland had also had 6 million citizens killed during the war, including 3 million Jewish Holocaust victims. 90% of Poland's Jews died under the Nazi occupation. Only around a quarter of a million Polish Jews survived, and half of these had migrated to Palestine. Jews that remained or returned were subjected to a new wave of anti-Semitism. On the 4th of July 1946, a pogrom took place in Kielce, killing 42 and wounding another 40 Jews. The Polish primate, Cardinal Hlond, commented that this attack on Jews was a political protest against the presence in government of Jews who are trying to establish in Poland a regime to which the majority of the people are hostile. Both the Soviet Stalinists and the Nazis had attempted to wipe out Polish elites. By 1945, Soviet, in common usage, had lost its original meaning of workers' council and had come to mean a radical opposite, Russian Stalinist. The Soviet secret police, the NKVD, massacred 8,000 captured members of the Polish officer corps in the Katyn Forest in mid-1940. Also killed were 6,000 police and thousands of middle-class Poles considered politically suspect. In May 1940, the Nazis launched AB Action, a campaign to destroy the Polish intelligentsia and political leadership. Under German occupation, 2,900, or 20%, of priests, half of all lawyers and doctors, and 40% of university professors were killed. Millions of books were burnt, including three-quarters of all scientific libraries. The Nazis banned all but the most elementary education for Poles. From the start, following the German invasion of Western Poland on the 1st of September 1939 and the Russian advance into Eastern Poland two weeks later, there was armed Polish resistance. The main force was eventually known as the Home Army and loyal to the Polish government in exile in London. The London government was based on the Peasant Party, Socialist Party and Nationalists, excluding the Stalinists. The Home Army eventually organised over 200,000 fighters and existed alongside an underground state which provided schooling and courts. As the Soviets drove the Nazis out, from 1944 they set up their own puppet government, the Polish Committee of National Liberation, PKWN. The Home Army organised anti-German risings in advance of the Red Army, contending for power, aiming to take control before the Soviets arrived. 
However, home army units were forcibly disbanded by the Russians and their fighters were either integrated into the Red Army or arrested or killed. The most important home army action was the Warsaw Rising of August and September 1944. Stalin stopped the Soviet armies on the east bank of the Vistula, allowing the Nazis to smash the insurgency. Over 150,000 civilians were killed. Poland had a vigorous, mostly underground workers' movement in the decades before World War I, and some years of a legal workers' movement in the more or less functioning bourgeois democracy of the early 1920s. Stalin had disbanded the Polish Communist Party, KPP, in 1938, having murdered most of the leadership. According to Anne Applebaum in Gulag, one estimate suggests 5,000 Polish communists were murdered in the USSR between spring and summer of 1937. The Great Terror specifically singled out Poles and launched the Polish Line of Investigation, which led to the arrests of over 140,000 people during this phase of the Soviet purges. The NKVD had been told by Stalin to beat the Poles for all you are worth. Moscow-trained Stalinists were sent into Nazi-occupied Poland in 1942, but were either killed or arrested. Władysław Gomułka, who had avoided Stalin's purges of the late 1930s because he was in a Polish jail, became the main leader of the underground Stalinist movement and then the key figure in the first phase of Stalinist government in Poland from 1945 to 48. Around his leadership were gathered a distinct group of Polish Stalinists who had spent the war underground in Poland. A second ultra-Moscow loyal grouping existed, led by Bolesław Bierut. The Gomulka wing was no less Stalinist than Bierut, but less servile to Stalin, more conscious of the need to take into account the hostility in Poland to the USSR and Russia's aggressive and imperialist relationship to Poland. According to Anne Applebaum in Iron Curtain, Gomulka was said to have seen Stalin shouting at Bierut, what kind of fucking communist are you, in October 1944, when Bierut had suggested an all-out assault on the non-communist party partisans might not be advisable. The word communist, like the word Soviet, had lost its original meaning, and in everyday use now meant Stalinist. The Home Army officially disbanded in January 1945, shortly after 16 former Home Army leaders were abducted and flown to Moscow, where they were put on trial and jailed. Some Home Army fragments con continued partisan warfare against the new Stalinist rulers. An amnesty in 1945 led to a decrease in Home Army numbers and activity. After then, most of the armed opposition was crushed quickly, but some small groups continued fighting until the early 1950s. A new Stalinist party, the Polish Workers' Party, PPR, was founded in January 1942 as a mechanism for Soviet policy in Poland. The PPR avoided using the word communist and presented itself as a patriotic anti-Nazi front. It said it was for democracy, land reform and nationalisation. PPR membership in July 1944 was 20,000. Membership went up to some hundreds of thousands in early 1945 and then down to 65,000 by the end of 1945. The result of purges and the revival of Stanislav Mikolajic's Peasant Party. In 1946, the Peasant Party had 600,000 members to the PPR's 235,000. The PPR existed until 1948 when it merged with a heavily purged wing of the Polish Socialist Party to create the Polish United Workers' Party, PZPR. In 1948, this Stalinist party had about a million members. Stalinist Rule at Yalta, in February 1945, the Allies agreed that Poland should have a coalition government followed by free elections. A land reform decree was issued in September 1944, benefiting a million smaller peasant families. 
10,000 estates were taken, mainly from the rich and German owners, affecting about a fifth of the land. Land reform was one thing, but the peasants were wary of being forced into collective farms. Vladislav Gomulka had studied at Stalin's Lenin School in Moscow in 1934-5, and had left with a very critical view of Soviet forced collectivization. Gomulka told the Polish people he was against violent forced collectivization. All factories, employing more than 50 workers per shift, were nationalised. A broader provisional government was negotiated in 1945, with non-communist forces fronting up a Stalinist state structure. This government was in place until the elections of 1947. The elections of 1947 and a referendum which preceded the election were rigged and accompanied by great intimidation and violence. A million voters were disenfranchised and thousands of peasant party activists and 142 candidates were arrested. Neil Aitchison describes the post-war period prior to the Stalinist onslaught after 1948 as a moderate, open and responsive form of socialism which was thoroughly successful in his book The Polish August. But the system he describes was neither moderate, open, responsive nor socialist. Yes, towns were rebuilt and industrial production increased as did the urban populations but Poland was again occupied and oppressed. The new ruling power was a totalitarian state that had signed a pact with Hitler, which destroyed Polish independence, was responsible for the mass murder at Katyn, and had had allowed the 1944 Warsaw Rising to fail and Warsaw to be destroyed. State power was held by a Soviet force and its Polish agents, who were in the process of systematically squeezing the political opposition to death, not just in Poland, but across Eastern Europe. The Stalinist transformation of Eastern Europe was not unplanned by Stalin. It was not just the response to American power, as Aitchison seems to suggest, following Isaac Deutscher. It was a Stalinist policy which was necessary to retain political power. In big part, the Cold War was the product of Soviet behaviour in Eastern Europe after 1945. Russian pressure forced Poland to renounce Marshall Plan money. Instead, Poland joined the Soviet economic bloc, Comic-Con, in 1949. Half a million Soviet troops remained in Poland and continued to do so without legal basis until 1956. The Soviet forces, including the NKVD, rounded up 150,000 Poles in the years 1945-8, executing many former Home Army members. The new Soviet International, the Comin Form, was founded in 1947. At its first conference, Gomulka voted against the collectivization of agriculture, defying the Russians. Gomulka was suspected of insufficient loyalty to Moscow, and the Soviets prepared his downfall. Gomulka petitioned Stalin, denouncing the Polish party as unpopular because it had too many prominent Jewish members. He argued it was necessary to stop any further growth in the percentage of Jews in the state, as well as the party apparatus, but also to slowly lower that percentage, especially at the highest levels. He described Jewish communists as having a national nihilism, in other words, being insufficiently Polish. On 3rd of September 1948, Bierut took Gomolka's place and Poland began its period of high Stalinism, which lasted until it thawed following Stalin's death in 1953. In December 1948, Gomolka was removed from the Politburo. In November 1949, he was expelled from the party. He was arrested in July 1951. He was released in 1954, but only rehabilitated in 1956. The Stalinist repression was less harsh in Poland than elsewhere in Eastern Europe. Gomulka escaped the period without a show trial and with his life. In Hungary, Rak was accused of Titoism, then executed. In Czechoslovakia, Slansky and others faced an anti-Semitic campaign and were accused of Trotskyite Titoite Zionism and bourgeois nationalism. 
Slansky and ten others were hanged and their ashes mixed with dirt on a road outside Prague. Timothy Garton Ash explains the uniqueness of Poland's experience of the worst phase of Stalinism in Eastern Europe in the following way in the Polish Revolution. The Polish communists were aware that they were a beleaguered minority imposed by a hated foreign power and simply could not afford to deplete their own ranks. Outside the party, Stalinism was both too severe and too mild. It was too severe for the party to win the voluntary cooperation of groups it might just have won by more conciliatory methods, but it was too mild to break the back of civil society, as was done, for example, in the three years of terror following the Russian invasion of Hungary in 1956. Even in the worst years of Stalinism, Polish communism was distinguished by half-measures partially executed. The Polish communists failed to collectivise private agriculture and to subjugate the church. By 1956, the Poles had retained an exceptional degree of independence in intellectual and cultural life. Nevertheless, Poland was heavily oppressed. Up until 1956, Soviet officials were embedded in the Polish police, army and other state structures. The Soviet general, Konstantin Rokossovsky, was the government's defence minister after 1949. By 1954, there were 84,200 political prisoners, with 6 million people, or 1 in 3 adults, on a secret police list of criminal and suspicious elements. In 1953, there were 32,000 UB secret police agents in Poland. Bierut died in Moscow in March 1956, shortly after attending the 20th Congress of the Communist Party, at which Khrushchev denounced Stalin's crimes. 1956. Poznan. Stalin had died in March 1953. At the 20th Congress of the Soviet Communist Party in February 1956, First Secretary Nikita Khrushchev made his secret speech denouncing Stalin and the purges of the 1930s. Boleslav Bierut, the Polish Stalin, died in Moscow on the 12th of March 1956, shortly after attending the 20th Congress. Khrushchev went to Warsaw for the funeral, attempting to intervene in the discussions about who would replace Bierut. Apparently, Khrushchev tried to have an orthodox Moscow loyal Stalinist take over the party. He also told the leadership there were too many Jews in leading positions. Edward Oshab, a reformer, got the job and many remaining political prisoners were released. The Polish leadership allowed hundreds of meetings to take place in March and April 1956 to discuss Khrushchev's speech. The discussion spilled into dangerous areas that began to alarm the communist establishment always had close concern for the Russian reaction to Polish events. Subjects being discussed included the Soviet massacre of Polish officers at Katyn in 1940, Stalin's refusal to help the Warsaw Rising in August to September 1944, and the continued presence of Soviet forces on Polish soil. In the Soviet party, Khrushchev was fighting Stalin loyalists. The political effect of his speech included winding down the Gulag prison camp system, loosening the mechanisms of repression to some degree, and licensing a period of discussion and limited criticism of the Stalinist past. In Poland, discussion raged and included demands for a more independent Polish communism. Working-class anger had been growing during 1955. The party's propaganda celebrated increasing living standards and the successful completion of the six-year plan. The workers knew the truth, however. Living standards had fallen by 30 to 40 percent between 1949 and 1955. Poznan is a large industrial centre, 300 kilometres west of Warsaw. At the biggest plant, the Joseph Stalin Chegielski Metalworks, 
A large delegation of workers was sent to see central government officials in the third week of June 1956. The workers' complaints stemmed from the decisions made at a party-sponsored economic conference in July 1953, which had raised industrial production norms and reduced take-home pay. The delegation demanded higher wages and a reduction in the norms. They returned on the 26th of June with promises which were then immediately cancelled. At 6am on the 28th of June, protests began. A big majority of the 15,000 Chegielski workers marched out in protest at losing their June bonus as a result in the rise in work quotas. The march grew as it descended on the town. By 10am, over 100,000 workers were demonstrating in the city centre, demanding pay increases and reductions in prices. The protest turned into a riot when the workers were led to believe their leaders had been arrested, probably provoked by state provocateurs. A prison was stormed. Hundreds of prisoners released and arms looted. Communist offices, the courthouse and police stations were attacked and overrun. The first panic shots were fired and the workers from government office windows and tanks and armoured vehicles began to move into place around buildings still under state control. The workers did not, in 1956, define themselves as root and branch against communism as they understood it. Their demands were, were economic and when they spilled over into politics they were anti-Russian. The protesters sang the Internationale and demanded Russians go home. Discontent was often channeled through official party organisation and the most prominent workers leader to emerge from the wave of protests was a young car worker. Leszek Gozdzik, secretary of his party cell in his car plant. The rioting was eventually repressed by 10,000 troops and 400 tanks under the leadership of the Soviet general Rokossovsky who was in charge of all the armed forces in Poland. The Soviet state was determined to end the protests before they spread, as they had in East Germany in 1953. The order to fire came from a Soviet officer. The chief of the Polish general staff was a Soviet citizen, as were 76 other senior officers of the nominally Polish armed forces. At least 75 people were killed, including a 13-year-old boy and five soldiers. 900 were badly injured. According to official statements, 746 were arrested. But why did Poznan erupt rather than any other Polish town? Why did the Czegielski engineering workers lead the way? The first independent union organisation in Stalinist Poland was formed in the Czegielski works. In June 1956, the leaders in section W3 began attempting to bring together the various shops and sections in the plant in unified action, as well as linking up with the workers at the railway repair yards and other factories in the city. The worker leaders planned various protest actions, including silent demonstrations outside, inside the factories, solidarity strikes and a march through the city during Poznan's international trade fair. The independent worker activists in the Czegielski plan were the catalyst for the movement of 28th of June, but their protest became so massive, so rapidly, and their structure was so weak that they lost leadership of the movement in the face of the extreme state violence. An absolutely central lesson for us from the Polish working class protests in the decades leading up to the creation of Solidarność in 1980 is the key role played by worker activists and worker-linked intellectuals preparing struggles in advance, tenaciously even through the worst of times, often after multiple arrests and persecution, and bringing lessons from previous battles into the present.